This is Brad Hunt, and this is the Trek Online Bible School podcast, uh, the third episode of our first ever uh, season, and I am in the book of Romans, and very excited to teach on uh, this very powerful letter from Paul to the Roman church, and we have gone through... uh, first two chapters, and each chapter is an episode. I'm continuing on in uh, chapter three. And so why don't we have a word of prayer, and then we'll get started. Father, we are here in your presence, needing your spirit to guide and to enhance your word for us. Reveal to us what it is you want us to know, and uh, enlighten us, Lord, so that we can truly be free. And I pray that whoever hears this will be blessed through it. And I even ask that uh, someone might hear it that doesn't know you as Savior, and they could come to know you and be free. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're moving into chapter 3 of the letter to the Romans by the Apostle Paul. And he just got done uh, challenging... Uh, natural man in chapter 1, and religious man in chapter 2. And coming into chapter 3, he's going to be dealing with the rhetorical questions that come from typical religious people who think that they have done their best and God ought to accept them on that basis. Uh, That is a very common response from people, if you were to ask them uh, whether they believe that they are going to heaven or not, sadly, during our present uh, religious or spiritual climate in the United States, there are a lot of people that don't believe in heaven or hell, and uh, they do want to live in as good a way as possible. They want to be responsible about the environment. They want to be good to all ethnicities. They want to be tolerant and accepting of every lifestyle. But what is interesting to me is that uh, the Lord's truth is being watered down or rejected by many people who call themselves Christians, and they will accept certain parts of the Bible, but others they will not. I'm also finding that there are uh, people who are expressing a disdain and disgust for the Word of God like I've never heard before. And I'm very sad by that, uh, hoping that uh, true revival will come to America and bring about a change of heart, because that's all that uh, can change uh, men and women and uh, young people and kids in the United States is for the Spirit of God to break out in our hearts and help us to see 
uh, how far we've fallen from uh, just uh, the way God designed us to live and the way God created us to live. So the book of Romans is actually very good for revealing uh, what God's intent for us is. Uh, And in fact, he gave the entire world, the nation of Israel, as a uh, prophet uh, to them. They were to reveal God's truth to the world, but uh, they were not able to keep that uh, covenant with God, and so they have suffered for that. But um, we love Israel, and we bless Israel, knowing that God has not abandoned them. He uh, is simply uh, moved over to the Gentile uh, world right now because of uh, Israel's rejection of Jesus as the Messiah. Um, but that's temporary until the church is full. And once the Lord uh, be, uh, once the Lord has elected to uh, stop calling men to himself, uh, then uh, the end will come in which uh, the Lord Jesus will be returning. Uh, to uh, protect the Jews and to deliver them from the Antichrist and so on. But that's another series. Let's go into Romans chapter 3. The first two chapters, as I said, uh, Paul was dealing with a natural man, and there is really no excuse for any person to not believe there is a God Uh, simply because his attributes are evident in nature, and God has uh, revealed himself to mankind. And so the only reason that people would have for not believing in God is a stubborn refusal to believe, and that uh, brings our own condemnation. It's uh, God is trying to spare us from that, but uh, we can get really... Uh, resentful and obstinate and stubborn and suppress the truth of God and we bring uh, judgment on our own heads and that's uh, a sad reality. But then in uh, chapter 2 the Holy Spirit dealt with the Jews who uh, believe that their efforts at keeping God's law would cause them to be accepted before God's throne, and Paul has to point out to them that uh, none of them have been able to keep God's law perfectly, and for that reason, they are condemned as well. And, uh, and so you come to chapter 3, and he begins fielding what we would call rhetorical questions on behalf of these Jews, Uh, who would say, well, then what's the point? Why did we even try uh, to do things God's way if if we are, frankly, as guilty as natural man? And so we're going to start in chapter 3. I'm reading from the New International Version today. Um, I'm trying to find the easiest translation to get some of these truths across. And sometimes I have to switch around to different translations just because I believe they, they speak some of these principles in a more understandable way. So uh, today, as I was studying, uh, of the three translations that I was studying, the New International Version 
seem to be the easiest to understand. So that's why I will be reading and commenting on the New International Version. So let's get started in Romans chapter 3. What advantage then is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? This would be, in my opinion, a valid question for these religious Jews to to have. It's like, well, then what what benefit is there in being a Jew or being circumcised? Um, And Paul said, hey, there is much in every way. First of all, and chiefly, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. Something that I think is easy to forget, if it weren't for the Jews, mankind as a race would not know God. And you say, what do you mean by that? Uh, first of all, our, our Savior, the Lord Jesus, is Jewish. Uh, he is fully God and fully Jewish. And right now he is seated at the right hand of the power of God in heaven, uh, waiting for the Lord to send him back to uh, deal with his enemies. Um, but a, a Jewish man is seated next to God Almighty in heaven. So the Jews were the race out of which the Messiah came. And they were entrusted with the very words of God. As I said at the beginning of the podcast, the Jewish nation was intended to be the prophets for the world. They were supposed to bring the message of God to the entire world. They were supposed to be his uh, examples. They were supposed to live according to his laws. They were supposed to declare his truth all over the world. And while some... Uh, have probably done that and succeeded at that. Uh, The nation as a whole has been set aside for a time uh, by God so that he can uh, justifiably go to the Gentile world and bring the good news that we're going to be looking at here in chapter 3. So the first thing that is the greatest benefit to the Jewish nation is they have been entrusted with the very words of God. And the next question is, okay, well, what if some of these Jews did not believe, or what if they were unfaithful to God's word? Will that cause God to be unfaithful to his promises to our nation? And uh, in verse 4, Paul says, not at all. Let God be true, and every man or human being a liar. Uh, The Old Testament in the Psalms says it this way, uh, so that you, God, may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. David is the one who said this, and David knew that God was always right, God always spoke truth, God never lies, and God never breaks his word. Now, I know, having been a pastor for, uh, you know, 30, 40 years, and, and when I say 40, I, 10 years of my ministry, I've been a minister to pastors overseas. I've had the privilege of uh, training pastors in India and in Ghana and in Romania, uh, 
I've, I've had the privilege of training them in the Holy Spirit, but we always deal with other issues uh, simply because there are questions that pastors have. And so having been a pastor all these years, I know some of the questions that come up when, uh, you know, God is portrayed as the scripture portrays him. A lot of people say, well, but then what about this? And what about this? So we're going to be looking at some more questions from a human perspective that frankly turn out to be simply excuses. Uh, Look at verse 5. Uh, the, the Jew might ask this, but if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? Uh, and of course, in, in parentheses, Paul is saying, I'm using a human argument here. And basically what people might say to the charge that they are unrighteous and they uh, cannot save themselves, uh, they might bring up something frankly absurd by saying, well, okay, I admit that I'm unrighteous and I'm not perfect, but if my imperfection brings out God's perfection even more clearly, I mean, that provides him a benefit and in a way he's using me, so why is God bringing his wrath on us? And if you think about that, that is an excuse, and it's a very selfish excuse, but having having been married for 41 years and having been a father, having been a son, you know, at a young age, uh, I am familiar with making excuses so that I don't have to take responsibility for my failings. And so in this case, the Jews, uh, they know that they can't uh, keep God's law perfectly. In fact, in the Gospels, uh, I should take that back, in the book of Acts, when the, er- when the, the early church was dealing with uh, the Gentile church, there were some Jewish believers that went out into the, the outreaches of the, the known world and went to the Gentile churches And these Jewish believers told these Gentile believers that they needed to get circumcised and obey the law of Moses as well as putting faith in Jesus. Otherwise, they couldn't be saved. And so this became a huge contention between the Apostle Paul and and these Jewish believers. And so they decided to go back to the church leaders in Jerusalem to try and resolve this uh, problem. So that's... It's really one of the first general councils, if you will, of the church. Uh, They got together in Jerusalem to consider this issue, and there was debate on both sides of the issue. Uh, Finally, after all the the arguments were given, uh, James spoke up, who was the Lord's brother, and he had become kind of the leader, almost what we Assemblies of God people would call the general superintendent. He, he, he came into that position, and he said, you know what, the scriptures tell us that the, the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, will win a, a, the Gentiles for his name. So we know that he's going to win the Gentiles for his name. And Peter brings up the issue that why would we put 
uh, a burden on these Gentiles that neither we nor our fathers were able to bear. And Peter pointed out that the Jews recognized that trying to keep the law that God had given them frankly became impossible. Uh, and part of the, the impossibility was because the religious leaders of the Jewish nation added laws and, uh, and uh, different things that had to be done so that there ended up being over 600 laws in their, uh, in their religious law that they had to learn and they had to keep. And, and, and basically, uh, Peter was saying, look, we, we, we faltered under that burden and we couldn't keep it ourselves. And the reason I bring that up is because in verse 5 of Romans chapter 3, we see the Jews admitting, if you will, that they are unrighteous. And they said, well, if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say, that God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? You know, that's like saying, well, well, God, it's not real. You know, we're trying, you know, it's, it's not right that you bring your wrath upon us when we're trying to be good, but uh, we're actually providing a benefit to you. Uh, sadly, uh, what becomes very clear is that it's once again human beings trying to make an excuse for our sin. Uh, and as we'll find in just a moment, that God never gave his law to mankind so that he could be justified. I know that, that Moses said the man who does these things will live by them. In other words, he'll, he'll attain eternal life, but... That doesn't mean that uh, the law was given so that men could actually attain that perfection. No one could. The law actually was given so that we could see how sinful we were. The law was given knowing that we would fail miserably when we tried to keep it. And this wasn't to make us feel bad. It was to reveal to us our need. And that's where uh, people today, those who say they don't need Jesus, those who, who say they don't need God, they're basically just suppressing the truth that they know that uh, all have sinned. And none of us is uh, righteous before God. And, and most people with that attitude usually use the um, excuse of, well, we're only human. You know, you can't expect anyone to be perfect. And, and most people will accept these uh, excuses because we all know that none of us is perfect and we don't want to live under some huge burden. So we find excuses for ourselves and we say, well, no one's perfect. And, and if God's going to, uh, you know, condemn me because I can't be perfect, well, then I'm not going to follow that kind of a God. And the sad thing is that people who say that don't know God. They don't know how much he loves this world. They don't know what he's done for us. They don't know that he is trying to save us from ourselves. He, they don't know that uh, we got ourselves in this uh, pickle, if you will, back in the Garden of Eden. It wasn't God's fault. It was 
Adam and Eve's fault. And uh, when they chose to sin against God, they brought the sin nature and death as a punishment upon the entire human race. And it has been reigning over the human race ever since. And, uh, and so all of us die. We all know the, the joke that says the, there are only two things certain in life, death and taxes. And, uh, and we all know that it's appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment. So mankind knows this. And, uh, and so we try and make excuses. And so in, in verse 5 of Romans 3, uh, Paul is handling a rhetorical question, and he says, that's a human argument, and certainly God is not unjust in bringing his wrath upon us. And certainly God is not unjust in general. He's, uh, Paul says, if that were so, if God was unjust, how could he judge the world? And, you know, a religious Jew who believes that God is perfect would have to, uh, would have to give in to that and say, well, you know, you're right. God could not judge the world if he had any injustice in his nature, but God is just. Then Paul goes on in verse 7 and says, someone might argue, well, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and increases his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? And Paul addresses that as an excuse again. He says, well, why not say this, as some slanderously claim that we apostles say. They claimed that Paul and his uh, fellow preachers were saying, well, let's do evil that good may result. Uh, and that's absurd. Paul never preached that. He preached the liberty that we have in Christ. He preached the freedom we have in Christ. He preached that our sins have been blotted out. Our sins have been taken away. He preached the glory that we uh, are experiencing and the freedom from sin that we are experiencing. But there is no way that Paul has ever said that it's okay for a believers to live in an evil manner so good may result. That Paul says in, in the following statement, he says, their condemnation is just. Anyone who has that attitude that says, hey, you know, uh, I'm saved, therefore I can do whatever I want because Jesus saved me and I can live in a sinful way and, and God's going to be glorified. That's absurd and that's a deception by Satan. Uh, the truth of the matter is when someone is born again by uh, the Spirit of God, when they put faith in Jesus Christ, when someone is born again, God's seed is placed in us, in our spirit. Our spirit comes alive again. God's seed, his nature is placed inside of us. And so now we think like God. We desire to do God's will. And you might say, well, yeah, some days I do, but other days I, I want to live like the devil. What you are discovering and what we will deal with in the book of Romans is the two natures that live inside of every believer. You see, when someone is not born again, and they are simply um, a human being uh, separated from God, there is only one nature in them, and that's called the flesh. 
And that flesh wants to do what it wants to do. And sadly, that flesh is subject to Satan's lies. And so Satan takes what God created as good and Satan perverts it. And through uh, following his influence and, uh, and living in these indulgent ways and, uh, and sinful ways, we end up, uh, we end up uh, becoming sinful and even more sinful. But when a person is born again, their spirit, which previously had died, and, and that's another uh, series that we would have to look at, Adam, when uh, he sinned, uh, God's spirit left. You know, the spirit of God was taken from mankind at that time when Adam and Eve sinned. And so they were living purely as fleshly individuals with you know, the, their uh, life in them, and, and God gave them, you know, his instruction, and, and they began following him. But uh, they were separated from the garden of God and so on. I don't want to go too much further down that. But when a person is born again, their spirit comes alive once again. And they have the seed of God planted in their spirit they have a new nature. You can find this all through the New Testament. And Paul even says, put on your new nature. He says that is, you know, sanctified in holiness. So we need to put on this new nature. We need to put on Jesus Christ because we are born again and we have power over our fleshly nature. And in Christ... With the Spirit of God in us, we have the power to put to death the misdeeds of the flesh. And, and that's a blessing that God has given us. Now, our sinful nature, our fleshly nature has not been eradicated yet. That will happen when uh, Jesus returns and we receive our new spiritual bodies. But right now, Christians still battle with two natures. Their mind, their will, their emotions want to please God. Their spirit wants to please God, but their flesh doesn't want to have anything to do with God. And so there is a constant struggle in a person to do what is right, but God is more powerful than our flesh. And so as we yield to the spirit on a regular basis, uh, the appeal of the flesh becomes less and less. Uh, now, that's, that's a very uh, tidy way of putting it, but it's usually not that easy. Most Christians have good days and bad days uh, based on who they're listening to. Uh, it's much like uh, some of those uh, movies we see where you've got an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other shoulder. That's a, a very accurate portrayal of what it's like to be a Christian. Uh, we, uh, we have the Spirit of God telling us how to live and what to do, and he gives us power to do that, and that is our spiritual nature's desire, but then we still have that sinful flesh in us that wants to live for self and live for uh, carnality and do things that uh, God does not accept or approve of, and so there is that, that battle. And in fact, uh, going into verse 9 of Romans chapter 3, Paul says, uh, what shall we conclude then? Do we, do we Jews, 
is basically what he's, he's asking. Do we Jews have any advantage, and let me add this, over the rest of humanity? Now, at the beginning of this chapter, the question was asked, well, what benefit is there in being a Jew? And Paul says, hey, there's all kinds of advantages. Uh, they're benefits, and, and one of the main ones is God has given us his word. Well, at this point, Paul says, well, shall we conclude that we have any advantage over the rest of humanity? And he says, Paul says, not at all. So on the one hand, there were benefits to being Jewish. But when it comes to being declared right in God's sight, the Jews don't have any advantage over anyone else. And Paul goes on to say, for we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. And that is what, is what he has taught over these uh, two chapters. And now he's going to uh, share with these Jews what the Psalms say about humanity. And so there are several snippets here that Paul is declaring uh, that come from the Psalms. And he starts by saying, there is no one righteous, not even one. Ouch. You know, that's what the Psalms say. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. These are all from the Psalms. All have turned away, verse 12. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And this is, this is, this is their law. This is Jewish law. They call the Old Testament the law and the prophets. And this is their law. And their law is saying that there is no one who seeks God. It goes on in verse 12. All have turned away. And, and that reminds me of uh, Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And yet God has placed on Messiah the sins of all of us. And that's a powerful truth. And frankly, when someone feels that in their heart, uh, there's no way they can resist the invitation of the Spirit to come to Christ for salvation. But going on in the Old Testament, uh, there is no one who does good, not even one. Verse 13, their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit. So basically, the psalmist is saying that mankind, uh, when they open their mouth, it's like death comes out. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. Uh, you might say, well, my life isn't that bad. Uh, you know what? If you're born again, that's part of the reason. But also, before you were saved, uh, there undoubtedly were moments when these things popped up and you saw them in your life, you struggled with them, you say, well, they pop up in my life now. That's right. Christians are not free from the struggle with the sinful nature. Okay? Now, the benefit we have as 
born-again Christians is that we have been set free from sin in the sense that we are forgiven of all our sins and God has declared us just, not because of our good behavior, but because we have put our faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus did keep the law perfectly. Jesus never sinned. Jesus never gave, you know, he didn't have a sinful nature to give into. And so he, um, you know, he learned obedience through the things that he suffered, uh, Hebrews says. But we are in Christ now, and and the, the perfection that he attained, we receive as a gift when we put faith in him. Well, let's finish this up here. Uh, ruin and misery mark their ways, talking about mankind. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Um, you know, for someone to say that an unsaved individual is God-fearing, uh, they're probably a little misguided because none of us, apart from the change that happens in the Lord Jesus Christ, none of us are God-fearing. Uh, we may have, you know, been taught some things by a religious mother or father, but uh, our our nature is still, uh, we really don't have a reverence for God. Paul goes on in verse 19 to say, now we know that whatever the law says, what he just read, he said, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. And so what these Jews just heard and what they have to face is that their own law declares that they are far from perfect and they are guilty of these things. And so Paul says, hey, this is your law, and we know that everyone who lives under the authority of the law is held accountable by these words. And so basically, they have to accept the fact that their own law tells them they are unrighteous, and they're accountable to God, and they have nothing to say. They can't, there's no excuse for any of us, not just the Jews. We, we talked about in, in chapter one, natural man has no excuse either. Uh, and, and there are a lot of people in today's culture who, who feel that God is unfair, that there are people who live so far out and so, away, so far away from uh, any type of knowledge of, of Christianity that, that uh, they, it's not fair to, for God to judge them because they don't possibly have a way of knowing that there is a God. And that, frankly, is a lie. Because God has put in the heart of every human being a, a hunger, if you will, a, a desire to reach out and find the divine being. And, uh, and I, I shared before that uh, most uh, there are plenty of testimonies of uh, whether they be scientists or missionaries that have met people groups that are very remote and uh, this uh, excuse that a lot of uh, anti-Christian people uh, 
lift up saying that uh, they shouldn't be held accountable because they can't possibly know the truth that we know. All of these people groups have some deity that they worship. So how does that happen? In There is a sense inside every human being that tells us there is a God. And when you look around at nature and see how nature works together, it declares the reality of God. And, and Paul said in chapter 1, men are without excuse. There just isn't. So let's finish up uh, this section here. We'll look at um, verse 20. Paul says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. There is the truth of the matter. This is reiterated in other New Testament epistles. You will find that God never gave his law to save men. He gave his law because he knew it would expose our sinfulness and our need for salvation. Verse 21, now we're getting into the good news. You see, if we had a creator that was harsh and that uh, had no care for the poor or the weak, uh, if we were subjected to uh, what some people consider to be uh, a law of nature that only the strong survive, if that was the way our God uh, related to his creation, then we would be in very sad shape. But the truth of the matter is, God cares about the widows, he cares about the orphans, he cares about every one of those aborted babies, he even cares for their mothers who chose to abort them. He cares for the doctors that perform those abortions and wants to save them. He cares for this entire sinful world, and he wants to save us because look at what sin has done. And so God did provide a way for us to be saved from sin. And we'll find it right here. Verse 21 of Romans 3. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. And those Jews might not have understood what he was talking about. What do you mean the righteousness of God? You know what? For anyone growing up, for instance, in a Jewish culture, I believe they would believe that the only way they could be declared righteous before God was for them to be law-abiding Jews. If they kept the law as, as good as they could, then they would trust God to declare them righteous and give them eternal life, which is what God promised to them. But in reality we all have to recognize that our sin, our failings, even if it only happens once in a while, our sin still condemns us because the wages of sin is death. And so we're condemned to death by the fact that we commit sin. 
but God has revealed his righteousness, which is completely separate from the law that he gave. And the law, uh, forgive me, the righteousness of God, in other words, the righteousness that God offers as a gift. This is the good news. The good news is that we can't save ourselves. We are unrighteous. We have a sinful nature. We are condemned to die. God says, I'll forgive you of all your sins, and I will give you my righteousness when you put faith in my son, Jesus Christ, and receive him as your savior. That is the gospel. That is good news. So God has made known to us this gift of his righteousness, and it was declared in the law and the prophets. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. And, and you'll know this if you are a religious person. You know that if you have a family that lives down the road and they let their kids run all over the place, they don't clothe them very well, and, and they always have a runny nose and they're dirty and they have trashy uh, shoes and, and their parents don't put coats on them, you can't help but feel like you're better than them. You're better parents, you're better this and that. And, and I suppose if we look at that particular aspect, we'd have to say, yeah, we're better parents, we're better providers, and so on and so forth. But when it comes to morally better, no. We are not considered morally better than the worst sinner in the world. Because whether we commit one sin or a thousand sins... In God's sight, we're sinners, and we're all condemned to death. And that's hard for some people to accept, especially religious people. But when we accept that, and we, we humbly accept that truth that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and when we hear the good news that God is offering us his righteousness when we put faith in Jesus Christ, and we believe that he is our Savior, that he did die on that cross, that he rose from the dead, uh, and now he is ascended to, to heaven to sit at the right hand of God. Uh, we are forgiven of our sin, we are rescued from the penalty of our sin, and we are declared righteous in God's sight. And now we are on our way to heaven, and that is good news. Now, let's continue and, and wrap up this. Uh, Paul said, for all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Jesus, redemption means that you're, that someone or something is enslaved by another, and to redeem that uh, object or that person someone has to go and buy that back. And so because of our sins, we were enslaved to sin. And truthfully, uh, this would take a little more digging into to um, uh, discuss this, but we were enslaved to Satan. Uh, Jesus bought us back. 
and he set us free. And so we are free in Jesus. We are free people when it comes to uh, spiritual condemnation, when it comes to the penalty of sin, when it comes to all the, the, the awful things that, uh, that we have done or maybe would have done, we are forgiven and set free uh, because we have been redeemed. You know, we've been bought back by Jesus Christ and set free. So um, let's, uh, God presented, here's one of my favorite verses in, uh, in the Bible. Chapter 3, verse 25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Uh, now that's not the translation that I like the best, uh, actually, the International Standard Version is the translation I like the best. It says, Jesus, whom God offered as a place where atonement by the Messiah's blood would occur through faith. That may sound a little bit technical, but the truth is that's, that's one of the most accurate statements you will find. What God gave to us, to this world, God gave us a place where we could go to have our sins forgiven, to receive the declaration of just before God, and to be promised eternal life. And that place is the cross. And that cross was not just a rugged piece of wood. That cross was stained with blood of Jesus Christ, who the Bible says was beaten so badly that he didn't even resemble a human. That's what Isaiah says. He was beaten so badly he didn't even resemble a human. He was pierced in the side so that blood and water flowed out of his body. He was crushed, wounded for our transgressions. There's an old song that says that he was wounded for our transgressions. And wounded doesn't really give us the full import of that. He was crushed. God was pleased to crush him, his only begotten son. God was pleased to judge our sin with the appropriate amount of wrath on that cross. Jesus was beaten and pierced and killed, and his blood poured out of his body and stained that cross. And that's the place that God gave us so we could go there to be saved. And by putting faith in Jesus and the blood that he shed on our behalf to have paid our sin and to set us free because Jesus died in our place, we are justified before God and we can stand before him clean. In fact, the letter to the Hebrews says that we are perfect forever. You can find that in the letter to the Hebrews. People who are in Christ, who have been born again, we are perfect forever in his sight while we are being made holy. And that's what Jesus did for us. And that's why it's such a, a tragedy if people continue to willfully sin after they've received the knowledge of the truth because it is such an insult to the Lord to have been given such a precious gift and then to not appreciate it 
and to literally trample the blood of Jesus underfoot. And I'd be lying if I didn't say that there are times I feel as though I have trampled the precious blood that Jesus gave on my behalf under my feet. And I've gone to the Lord in brokenness and asked him to forgive me. And he has already forgiven me um, in Jesus. But Jesus Christ dying on that cross, pouring all his blood out, being beaten to a pulp, that's the place that God provided for us to be saved. And God was displaying not only to the world, but also to the spiritual realm that he is a just God and he did not allow sin to be unpunished. He punished sin. There is no spiritual being who can accuse God of not punishing sin. He punished it adequately and righteously, and Jesus took that punishment on our behalf, and we are justified by faith apart from the works of the law. God is not only the God of the Jews, he's God of the Gentiles too, and we are justified in God's sight because we put faith in Jesus. And someone might say, well, does that do away with God's law then? At the very last verse of this chapter, uh, do we then nullify the law of God by this faith? And, and Paul says, not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. And when, when we come to Jesus Christ and our nature is changed and we are born again, we want to live like God. And so the things that the law of God says we want to do. And we uphold the law when we get saved. We approve of it. We, we thank God for it. And uh, Jesus even said that he didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. He came to fulfill them. And it's because of his act of fulfilling them that we can stand in God's presence having the status of fulfilling God's law also. God bless you. I look forward to our next uh, episode together. And uh, this podcast, I'm trusting, will bless and help you. So have a great day. And uh, God be with you. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. Over every heart and every mind Cause I know there is peace within his presence I speak Jesus